Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Last Sunday at the Arlington Street Zen Center's annual winter retreat, we bundled up against the cold and walked in silent, single file, a walking meditation out in the public garden. And later I asked people if they'd overheard any snippets of conversation they'd found compelling. Several people had heard a young man say to two friends, that's some good stuff. (laughs) More than likely he was referring to whatever they were tucking into their pipe, um, though we liked the idea that he might have meant us. (laughs) On the other side of the pond, as we caught up to two young women, Um, one of them was saying to the other, out of the goodness of our hearts, and it stayed with me all day, that's some good stuff, out of the goodness of our hearts. Each Sunday we say the service begins as the service ends. So my mind turns now to Nick's, a little two-pump service station. We raised our kids across the river in Cambridge, and Nix was on the way to almost everything. Through a long succession of tiny Volkswagens that gave way to SUVs as our family grew, we almost never filled up anyplace else. I could not tell you whether or not the gas is cheap, but what I can tell you is that Kareem was always there, a middle-aged gentleman from Lebanon with a few days' growth of beard and a few teeth missing, dressed in a dirty parka and greasy pants. I'd pull into the station and he'd say, we love you, honey, everything okay? Going to the Cape? (laughs) For a long time, our friendship, until our friendship had crept on up on us and we'd learned his name, Cam and I called him going to the Cape. When he saw us pull in, he'd run into the station and bring out meat from his lunch, reaching fearlessly through the back windows, he'd feed our dogs. You could not convince him that, as a rule, this was not a good idea. (laughs) We love you, he'd say. I think he was including Nick, the owner, and Mickey, the mechanic, in that we, and though they're great guys, too, it may have just been Kareem. Over the years, the cars gave out at various times. We always had them towed to Nick's. We trusted Kareem. Or we'd pull in and I'd say, Kareem, my taillight is out. And he'd say, don't worry, honey, I'm getting a screwdriver. The kids are all right? Going to the Cape? (laughs) And you'd try to pay him and he'd say, don't worry. Kareem had left his wife and children behind in Lebanon and came to America to support them. He sent money at the end of each week, the same day he visited his sister in a nearby town on his half day off. At Christmas time, I always stopped by with baked goods. Kareem seemed mortified at this giving role reversal. It was the only time he was ever quiet. Even after we moved west of the city, I'd try to leave time to stop at Nick's to fill my gas tank. And then one day, Kareem wasn't there. 
He was sick, Nick told me, for the first time in almost 20 years, except for the one time he'd gone home to Lebanon. He was out of work. It wasn't like him at all. And not long afterwards, I pulled in again, and a young man was pumping gas in Kareem's place. He told me Kareem had lung cancer, undoubtedly contracted working with hazardous materials in a factory back in Lebanon. Kareem still asked after everyone. He said he loved hearing who had come by, appreciated everyone's prayers. Insurance was covering his care, thank God, and there was nothing that could be done. I walked over to Star Market, read all the Get Well cards, bought a thank you card, put in some cash, even though I knew Kareem would hate that, and wept as I wrote, we love you, Kareem. One morning, not long afterwards, Ann Clark told me that she just heard a radio show about some guy in a gas station. His name was Kareem. So here's a little transcript of that story entitled, Remembering Kareem, A Lifetime of Kindness. Hosts Michael May and Lisa Tobin spoke to his friends and longtime customers as part of a WBUR radio series, Kind World, which features stories of kindness and the profound effect that a small act can have. Audrey Zabin. I went by that gas station every morning and I would beat my horn. He'd run out from the station office calling, we love you, and I wasn't even stopping for gas. <laughs> Larry Tish. Your first interaction with Kareem is him filling up your gas, saying, how you feel? You sign the thing and you're off, and then the second time your wife's in the car. Oh, is this your wife? So it kind of builds, and then just, he's like your brother. He's cooking dinner for you. He had a hot pot, and he put it on top of the tire fixer machine. You know, this one area, it's sterile. And he would just make this food and call me whenever it's done. <laughs> Maureen Strafford. He's kind of like a gas station therapist. He didn't talk much, but he listened deeply. I'd be getting my car filled up with gas, and he'd say, how's your mother? And I'd start crying because my mother was in the hospital. He just let you say what was painful. Larry Tisch, basically that's all he did all day while he pumped gas. I mean, pumping the gas, there's an automated thing there, right? You just start it and that takes six seconds. And so really, the rest of his day was all about just offering little acts of kindness. Libby Lodge. When I found out that Kareem had cancer, I felt we had to show him how much we cared about him, how wonderful he was. I certainly felt that way. I hope that other people felt that way, but I wasn't sure. We sent out one email to the neighborhood. Kareem has been diagnosed with lung cancer, and the money just started pouring in. I mean, I can't tell you the cards that came with the money all over the world. People sent cards. People who had moved away years ago, and somehow they found out about this. Sipola Moore, his side of the room was filled with cards, flowers, food, everything, and his roommate Bart, nothing, nothing. And Kareem told me, Bart has no one. And so he'd always offer him things, talk to Bart, and even though Kareem was suffering, you know, he was taking care of Bart, too. Bill Warner, Kareem wanted to be buried in Lebanon. 
$15,000 to send his body back to Lebanon. But it started to become apparent that this was going to happen. People were going to make this happen. Maureen Strafford, watching this very special man confront death with this amazing dignity and grace, was a gift. What Kareem taught me is to never forget the day to day, that there's an incredible beauty in a kind word, a gesture. Larry Tisch, everybody has pain in their life, and it affects people in different ways. But somehow, Kareem just turned it into love. What would happen if we just offered little acts of kindness every day, seven days a week, for 25 years? What would that do? It would do a lot. And it has done a lot. Kareem Alaga died on December 13th, 2012, through the generosity of a community of strangers with one unlikely man at its center. His body was returned to his hometown in Lebanon, where he was buried beside the church as he had wanted. That's some good stuff. Out of the goodness of our hearts, kindness. I have another story. It's just a little snippet, and you can go to the BBC archive and hear the whole thing. You really want to hear the story. I just sat in my car, mesmerized, listening. Six years ago, suffering unto despair with mental illness, Johnny Benjamin went to jump off of London's Waterloo Bridge to put himself out of his misery. And by grace, a stranger saw him from the other side of the bridge and approached him, talking him away from the edge until more help arrived. Johnny Benjamin got help. He recovered. He's now a mental health advocate. Early in January, he decided he wanted to find his rescuer. The police took me away, he says, and I never got a chance to say thank you. He didn't know his name, but he'd always thought of him as Mike. So he teamed up with the mental health charity Rethink Mental Illness, and on January 13th, he started a Twitter campaign using the hashtag FindMike. It took off. There were more than 46,000 tweets around the world, from Canada to South Africa, Australia to North America. To be honest, says Johnny Benjamin, I didn't expect to find him. He had been so shaken on that day, he couldn't remember what the man looked like. It was like looking for a needle in a haystack, he says. Two weeks later, a couple of days after it went viral, a woman saw it on her phone and knew that Johnny was not looking for Mike, but for her fiance, Neil Laybourne. Johnny and Neil were reunited on Waterloo Bridge on January 28th. And on January 30th, the hashtag was changed to found Mike with over 2,000 tweets in the first hour. Neil Laybourne says it was incredible meeting Johnny, very emotional for both of us, and really nice to have a happy conclusion to it. We've got on so well since we met. It's nice to help him get some closure and talk about it. 
John, Johnny Benjamin says meeting Neil has made him elated. When I went to the bridge, I was so embarrassed about what I was going through, I couldn't tell anyone. But that simple act of telling Neil and having him listen made all the difference. It feels amazing to me just to be opposite him and looking into his eyes and expressing my gratitude. And I've had messages of support from all over the world. It's just fantastic that I'm able to tell people that we've finally been reunited. Neil Laybourne, now 31, remembers it was a very cold day, a very windy day, and Johnny had on just a t-shirt and was sitting over the edge of the bridge. It was glaringly obvious why he was there, and I saw him a few hundred yards in the distance and just made a beeline for him. I stopped because straight away I saw someone who needed help. It's the first instinct, the first reaction that came to mind. I just did what I thought anybody would do. I walked up around him, he continues, and just calmly approached him and said, hi mate, can you tell me why you're sitting on the bridge? And he told me that he was gonna take his life. We just went from there, I just kept asking questions and wanting to engage him and let him know that if he wanted to talk, I was there. Johnny Benjamin, now 26, says, I'd just been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, which is a combination of schizophrenia and depression. He felt that morning that his life had hit rock bottom. All I remember was standing on the edge of the bridge and this guy coming up to me out of nowhere and just talking to me and saying to me, don't do this. We can talk about this. Come on, we can go for coffee. Let's go for coffee. The pivotal moment for me was when he said, you can get through this. You can get better. Because up until that point, no one had said it would get better. No one had given me that message that I could get through it. And this stranger just coming up to me and saying, you can do it, mate. You can overcome anything. That was the turning point for me. I've just been so grateful to him ever since. And now these new old friends are eager for their story to highlight issues of mental health and recovery and to go for that coffee. That's some good stuff out of the goodness of our hearts, kindness. It gets better. Beloved spiritual companions, let us run out every morning yelling, we love you. Remember the day today. Let people say what's painful, turn pain into love. Let's say, you can do it, mate. You can get through it. Let's say, thank you. That's some good stuff. Out of the goodness of our hearts, kindness, it gets 
better. The service begins when the service ends.